Well, good morning to all of you. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we had a wonderful one. My, sometimes uh, people behind the scenes don't uh, get acknowledged enough, so let me brag on my wife a little bit. Uh, she did a tremendous job. Uh, last night we had, I think, well, probably about 25 people. I think 20 of those were from the Middle East uh, for Thanksgiving. And uh, she and her, my mother-in-law, how many people brag on their mother-in-law as well? But uh, she and her mother did a fantastic job of um, putting together a fantastic meal, and they gave us a great time together uh, with some of our friends. So I hope your Thanksgiving was as good as ours. Judy's looking for a day of rest today, uh, as we all are, but uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful evening for us um, after having spent some time in Lancaster with our family uh, on Thursday. So I also just want to say thanks to Dave Mingle. I really appreciate it. I don't know how many of you, how many of you were in Sunday school this morning? Oh, good. Most of us. Good. Uh, I, I really wanted to stand up and just say, okay, the sermon's not going to happen today. Uh, that closing video was pretty much what I'm preaching on today. So uh, if, you got that, if you got the message in that short little video, it's uh, pretty much the message you're going to get uh, as we walk out the door today. Really couldn't have tied together um, better. Uh, but I just really appreciate David's effort and, and work that you did in putting together uh, and, and addressing, I, I think, a very difficult um, topic on the whole LGBT, so I really appreciate it and how we as a church should respond to that. But I really did feel like that video really uh, summarized how we need to be living in our society, how we need to be the light and salt that God's called us to be in a very practical way, and it's through hospitality. Um, as um, David mentioned, for those of you who weren't there, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. God's really caused us, called us to, to minister to people and that's uh, done a lot, and primarily through hospitality. How are we opening our homes uh, to people around us? And I just really appreciated that uh, just short video, which I thought was really powerful and had a, a loaded message uh, for, for us as believers. Uh, we're going to take a look this morning on the, uh, the topic of serving our communities. And this idea of serving our communities is not uh, serving organizations or systems or physical things uh, uh, that, that are in our communities, but it's about serving people. Really, when it comes to the heart of, and soul of serving our communities, it's about serving people. What makes up communities is people. And so this morning, uh, rather than saying we're serving our communities, we're going to be serving people who live in our communities. That's what uh, we're really looking at this morning. And we're going to take a look at uh, a passage that is really familiar to probably most all of you out here, Luke chapter 10. Uh, taking a look at verses 25 through 37. We're going to read that shortly, um, which focuses on the great commandment. And I think when we talk about this idea of loving people and serving people, uh, the great commandment certainly is at the heart and soul of that. And this parable that the, the Lord gives us, um, I think, is a really powerful and parable and, and something we can pull a lot out of as we, we look at this topic of serving people in our communities. So let's start in uh, verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. I'll read this for us. And the lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question that Jesus got numerous times throughout his uh, ministry. Uh, and this is a lawyer. As we know, lawyers and Pharisees and Sadducees, they all were kind of looking to trip up Jesus, to uh, somehow put him in a position that was uncomfortable, a question that he couldn't answer. And time and time again, uh, Jesus uh, put them in their place. In fact, there's a point in Scripture where they decided to stop asking him questions uh, because they were embarrassed. And this is one of those uh, situations where Jesus is going to shed the light on someone's heart um, as he asked this very uh, important question, how does a person inherit eternal life? So, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? As Jesus does many times, he returns uh, a question with a question. Um, 
And, and the man answered, he shall love, you shall love the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. If you can go love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them, and he, and, uh, he put him on his, his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So he says to the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, and he said The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So this is a really good picture of what it means to serve people, to serve people in our communities. I, th I think the principles that we can pull out of this parable are just really powerful for helping us to be able to serve our communities well. But it's really interesting as we look at this parable, the lawyer asks a question of Jesus. After answering his own question that he asked correctly, Jesus said, you are correct. He wanted to justify himself. Now, I'm not really sure what that means. As I kind of meditated on that, thought about that, why does somebody need to justify themselves? Well, if we use that term in our, in our language, in our culture, we justify ourselves because we've done something wrong and the, something says that we should do this, but in reality we've done this, and so we're not living up to what's written down and what we should be doing. And so to justify ourselves, we come up with some kind of an excuse, uh, something that will be able to paint me in good light. And so my assumption is that this lawyer, everybody around him, knew that he probably wasn't loving people uh, his neighbor as himself, or wasn't loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he asked a question to somehow justify himself. And that question basically is, so who are you telling me I should love? Who should I love as myself? Who's my neighbor? Who should I be loving? All these people that I live around and that I are in my society, which one of them should I really be loving as I love myself? And Jesus' response to him is basically saying, you're asking the wrong question. If we notice, the parable, as Jesus lays out, is not really answering the lawyer's question. Because what does he say at the end? He doesn't say, here's who your neighbor is. He's saying, which one of these three were a good neighbor? So he's basically telling the lawyer that the question you're asking is the wrong question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? Who should I be loving? But what does it look like for me to be a good neighbor as I love people in my community, as I um, look to serve people in my community? Because we all know that it's really difficult to love people as we love ourselves. Put yourself in that position. How do I really, what does it really look like to love people as I love my own self? How does that really fleshed out in our society? And many times we ask the same questions the lawyer asks. I know when I lived overseas in North Africa, we were faced with poverty quite frequently as we went out onto the streets. And many times I would ask myself, is this person in my head, I would ask myself, is this person really deserving of what he's asking for from me? Is he deserving of the money or the food or my time? or my energy? Is he really deserving of that? 
And I, I tend to do a lot of what the lawyer said. Who really is my neighbor? Who is really deserving of, of me loving them as I love myself? And uh, we can come up with all kinds of excuses why we don't serve people. Um, but uh, we, we many times find ourselves really asking the same questions, maybe in different ways, about how we, we love our neighbor. And so the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is one that we also ask. And Jesus basically said, it's not about who I'm supposed to love, but what does it look like for me to love? What does it look like for me to love my neighbor as I love myself? And we have a lot of different characters in this story. So we have the man, obviously, who was beaten. This is the neighbor that is in need. He's been beaten. He obviously has a lot of physical needs uh, because he's been beaten up, and, and this good Samaritan comes along and meets some of those needs. Uh, but in this story, we also have the robbers. You know, the robbers are also part of our community. You know, we have the people who basically look, to look at their community and say, how can I benefit from this community? And sometimes that's at the expense of other people. But they're basically looking to fulfill their own needs, to use the community, the people around them, uh, to meet their own needs. And we can find people like that in our community. And I hope that none of us are those kind of people where we just look at our community and say, how can I benefit from my community? What can I get out of the community or the people around us? And sometimes, um, like the robbers did, they do that at the expense of others. Then we have the religious folk. You know, we have the priests and the Levite. You kind of the priests are those professional uh, religious people, those pastors, those leaders in the church. Um, who, um, uh, who, who live out their, or their job is basically to, to uh, carry out religious functions. That's what the priest's job was. Or you have the Levite, those who are descended from the tribe of Levi, maybe those uh, lay people like you and I sitting in the, in the pews here this morning. So we have those people who, those people tend to walk by. We uh, sometimes become the priest and the Levite. We see the need, we see the needs in our community around us and the lives of the people around us and we tend to walk by. And we're not sure why the priests and the Levite walk by. This story really doesn't tell us. There's a lot of different reasons that we can walk by people. Uh, we're just indifferent, uncaring. Maybe they were fearful, fearful, fearful that, you know, if I stop to help this person, the same thing's going to happen to me. I don't know if these robbers are still around. The people who beat him up, could they beat me up? Uh, some people suggest that maybe because they were religious workers, that if they stopped and helped a person who was beat up, that they would become ceremonially unclean and wouldn't be able to carry out their functions as priests and as Levites. Uh, maybe they were just too busy. You know, they were on their way to get somewhere, and I know that's my life. You know, I'm too busy. It's easy for me to walk by people who are in need um, in the busyness of my life. So maybe they were just too busy. Or maybe, as sometimes I do, felt like, well, this person really doesn't deserve my love. You know, they doesn't deserve my service. Uh, I'll let somebody else take care of it. Let somebody else do it. Uh, this person's not really deserving of it. But for whatever reason, the bottom line is that the Levite and the priest weren't willing to make a sacrifice, take the risk to help this man, uh, whether it was going to be a sacrifice of their time, their resources, uh, put their life at risk, uh, whatever it was, their cleanness at risk, whatever the Levite and, and the priest were not uh, willing to take that risk. That's the bottom line. And then, of course, we have the Samaritan, the Samaritan who stopped and helped uh, this man who was beaten and laying in, the, laying in the gutter. And so at the end of the story, Jesus says to the man, the lawyer, he says to him, which one of these men proved to be a good neighbor? And the response was, well, it was the one who showed mercy. It was the Samaritan. And Jesus said, go, that's your correct. You're exactly right. The Samaritan is the one who's the good neighbor. So that's the one, that obviously, that you and I need to model. Uh, we need to model that. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take just a quick look 
uh, at the, the possibility of the Samaritan, which is the lawyer, which the answer is the lawyer gave, the one who showed mercy, and say, okay, what did characterize the Samaritan that wasn't characteristic of the others that we can uh, model in our own lives as we look to serve our communities and serve people? What's it look like to be a loving neighbor? Because uh, Jesus said, go and be like the Samaritan, do, do as he did. Well, the first thing in verse 33 that we see the Samaritan, he was on his journey, came upon this man. He sees him beaten up, laying in, laying in the ground in need. And he saw, he saw this man, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So the first thing that we, we see in characteristic of the Samaritan's life is, is that he had compassion, he had love uh, towards those who were in need. It's fairly easy, again, for us, uh, looking at the people in our lives, you know, we, we tend to lump people in, in, uh, in categories, you know, we look at people by their race, maybe we look at people by their um, religious uh, beliefs, maybe we look at people based on their political views, maybe we look at people based on their economic uh, situation, but we, we tend to look at people and lump them in categories, and I don't know how you are, but sometimes as I'm walking around the community, I catch myself, you know, judging people based on where they're at economically, based on their race, based on their religion, based on their political views. And, and we, we tend to respond and relate to people based on these preconceived notions we have, them, we have about them based on the group that they're a part of. And we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we have those preconceived notions and therefore show our compassion to some people in our society that we don't necessarily show compassion to in other peoples of our society? Or do we look at people as individuals, individuals in need, and we look at those needs and we see uh, the need for compassion uh, to be poured out on the person as an individual. I think compassion is very personal. You know, it's a very personal thing. We see the Samaritan was very much engaged, you know, physically. He was, he was relating to this person in a very personal way. One of the things I've tried to do over the years, and I'm not always successful at this, is when I see a person in need, particularly somebody who comes up, with, up to me and asks me for money, this happened in North Africa. It happens here in, in Philadelphia. In fact, it just happened the other night. I was on the, the subway coming out of Philly, and a man came up to me, asked me for some money. And rather than just making a decision about whether I'm going to give to that person or not give to that person, I've tried to make an effort to get to know them. And so I ask him, well, what's your name? You know, or where are you from? Or tell me your situation. What's, what's going on? And so it's an opportunity, I think, for us to get to know people. And so being able to look at people as an individual. I think the Samaritan man took personal interest in this uh, beaten man laying on the, laying on the ground. Um, and, and, and his compassion was very uh, uh, driven towards this person because of his need, because he saw him as an individual. And so think of the people that live around us. There's many needs that people have living around us that, uh, that need our love and our compassion. A few Sundays ago, we took a look at Matthew chapter 24. This is back in October, the last time I shared here. And we talked about this idea of our love growing cold because of the increase of evil in our society around us. It's easy for our love to grow cold. It's easy for us to become indifferent. It's easy for us to uh, just re uh, recoil back into our own uh, little environment and not really love the people around us. But it's very clear in Scripture, if we don't love our brother, if we don't love our neighbor who we can see, how can we say that we love God who we can see? In the great commandment, there's a real strong tie between loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, these two things are very tightly intertwined. We can't love God and not love our neighbor. We can't love our neighbor, say we love our neighbor, and not love God. These things are very closely intertwined. And so we see at the foundation of the Samaritan's ability to serve his community, to serve the people in his community, the people that came into his sphere of influence, 
it, it, first of all, he had to have compassion in contrast to the robbers who saw this man and had no compassion on him, and therefore they used him for their own personal gain. Uh, but the, the Samaritan, it says that he felt compassion. That compassion is the foundation of what drove him to act and to do what he did. And so as we go through the rest of our time this morning, we want to focus on this idea that compassion, love, is the foundation uh, for, what we, uh, for what drives us to act as serving people in our communities. The second thing we see here is that serving our neighbor means that we're going to have to serve people who are unlike us. And we talked about this a little bit already. It's really interesting. If you turn over to Matthew chapter, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, there's an interesting verse over here. Jesus talking says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So there's obviously a saying there's an understanding within this time that Jesus was around, within the culture and society, that you should, people are saying you should love your neighbor, but you should hate your enemy. And, you know, this is the normal kind of way that our, our world functions. You know, whether it's other religions or whether it's people who have no religion, uh, many people in our world, the natural thing is to love those who are like you, love your neighbor, and to hate those who are your enemies. And the amazing thing is that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, puts those two together in the same category. He doesn't separate them. And he does the same, same thing right here in Luke uh, chapter 10. So, the, the lawyer asked the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus never really answered that directly. He talked about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. But in a sense, indirectly, he does answer that question. Because who's he make the person who is the good neighbor? It's the Samaritan. Now, if you haven't done any studying on the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They were arch enemies. Uh, during the time of Christ. Samaritans and Jews both ways hated each other. Uh, I don't know if you read, remember the story of Jesus uh, was traveling and uh, he went into a city to see if he could get some lodging and the, the Samaritan city turned him away. What did Jesus' disciples do? They look at Jesus and say, should we call fire down on this, this town, you know, this town of Samaritans who rejected us hospitality? Uh, so even among Jesus' closest followers, there was this hatred uh, by Jews towards Samaritans and vice versa. And so even in, in a kind of an indirect uh, way, Jesus is saying here, you know, part of your neighbor being your neighbor is those who, who uh, you don't like, those who you despise, your enemies. And, and you need to love those who are most despised, even in your world, those you don't, don't like at all. But as you think about your community, you're, we, live in a community we live in communities where people are vastly different than us. Uh, we have a cafe down in Upper Darby, and the people that walk into our cafe, you know, they're, they're, they live in completely different worlds than, than you and I do, and than I do anyway. And uh, it's just amazing to me the differences that people have. And again, a lot of them, you know, uh, coming out of different social um, networks, different economic networks, uh, they've grown up in worlds that uh, I haven't even touched. And uh, it's amazing how different our people are in our communities. And yet God's called us to love, to be a neighbor to those who are quite different than us, even our enemies, you know, those who are most despised in our, in our society. And so God's not calling us to love just, you know, even the guy that's kind of obnoxious at work or the neighbor that's annoying or that customer that comes in and is demanding and, and just really not a person that's easy to love. God's not calling us just to love those people and to be neighbors to those people. He's actually calling us to love our enemies, those who are actually oppositional towards us, who, who fight against us. Um, I don't know about you, but trying to love an enemy like you love yourself, 
love your neighbor as you love yourself, and Jesus now lumping the enemies in with those neighbors that we're supposed to love as we love ourselves, that's a pretty high bar. And I think the lawyer, as he heard, as he hears this story, he thought the bar was set high to begin with, but the bar is getting set even higher by Jesus as he continues to tell the story. And so loving our neighbor means that we're going to have to reach out to and love those who are not only unlike us and unlovable in, in, you know, for us, uh, but those who are actually oppositional to us, enemies in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our sphere of influence, wherever the Lord has placed us and called us to. So serving our communities, loving people well, it's, it's grounded in compassion and love, and it's, it's, it means that we're, we're called to reach out to even those who are different than us. And then the third aspect of this parable, the third point we can pull out of this parable is that loving our neighbor means that we identify what their needs are and we address those needs. So the Samaritan came along, he saw a need in his community, and that need was that this man was, was beaten lying, lying along, uh, alongside the road. And there's all kinds of needs in our communities. We can have social needs. I mean, there's a lot of people. Again, in our cafe, we have a lot of people come in and are lonely. You know, we have, we have people that come in and are sitting in our cafe all day by themselves sometimes. Uh, uh, sometimes they have a friend that might come and, and join them, but they sit there all day. And it's obvious there's loneliness, uh, a lot of loneliness in our world. Sometimes it's physical needs, whether it's finances or food or clothing, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, struggling with the culture, you know. Uh, we, we, because we live in a very diverse community and because we spend time overseas, we tend to attract people from different cultures. And we have people coming in who don't have language to make a phone call, you know, that they need to make for, you know, getting their kid into school or getting some health insurance uh, lined up or something like that. So we have cultural needs, uh, linguistic needs. There's all kinds of needs in our community. Obviously, there's a lot of people in our community who have spiritual needs. And uh, the gospel obviously is the answer to many of the problems that people are facing in our world today. But uh, obviously, the Samaritans saw a practical need as this man was laying alongside the road. We need to identify what those needs are in our community. And I think a lot of times when we talk about serving people in our communities, uh, it's basically identifying needs. That's kind of our starting point. So as you look at the people in your life, you know, the sphere of influence you have, whether it's your neighborhood, your work, wherever it is, what are the needs that you can identify and use that as a starting point uh, to, be, to be able to serve others? And then the fourth thing um, that we see in this parable is that serving your neighbor means you're going to be called to sacrifice and to take risks. This is an amazing story. Here's not only uh, someone who's giving themselves completely to this person who's beaten, but someone who normally wouldn't be uh, drawn to this person because it's a Jew, um, and the Samaritan now is helping him. But look at the great extent he goes to to sacrifice uh, in this story. So first of all, he's obviously on his way somewhere. Uh, the Samaritan is not just out walking around, maybe he is out walking around looking for people to, who are beaten up that he can help, uh, but he's on his way somewhere. He's going somewhere, and he, in the midst of him going somewhere, he stops, and he helps this man, and he gives his resources, whether it's his bandages, his, his oil, and his wine to, to help this uh, man's wounds. Then he picks him up, and he takes him to the inn, and he cares for him at the inn. He actually gives his time and his energy towards caring for this person who is in great need. And he does that, I don't know how long of a period of time, but it was overnight because it says the next day he got up and he went on his journey, continued on his journey. And he's, as, he was, uh, as he was leaving, he gave some money to this innkeeper. Now, maybe he was good friends with the innkeeper, I don't know, but I, I, I think that's pretty risky. Here, here's some money, take care of this man. 
And on my way back, if it costs you more to take care of this man, don't worry, I'll reimburse you. So he's now taking the risk of being taken advantage of because this innkeeper can come back and as he's coming back, say, oh, you know what, it cost another five denarii to take care of this man. And he doesn't know, unless he said gather receipts, I don't know. But he, he, he was willing to even pay more and trust the innkeeper as to how much that, that amount would be. So we see some extensive sacrifices that, uh, that the Good Samaritan is taking here as he cares for this man. He's giving up his resources, giving up his time. He's taking a risk, trusting people that, that um, you know, could easily um, betray him and easily uh, use him. And so as we look at uh, this idea of helping our neighbor, one of the things that we need to uh, be willing to do is be willing to, to sacrifice and be willing to take risks. Second Corinthians chapter 11, I just want to read this. Uh, this is kind of the ultimate picture of what it takes to really serve people well, is the risks and sacrifices that Paul took, which are listed out over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's are responding to these false teachers or these teachers that are, you know, uh, uh, belittling uh, Paul and uh, tearing him down. And Paul basically trying to justify himself says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So we see here an example of what it looks like, you know, someone who's willing to sacrifice it all for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of service to others. And this is what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to serve and to be able to sacrifice ourselves. And sometimes it may mean that we put ourselves at risk. I had a really good mentor years ago who made this quote to me. I've never, ever forgotten it. He says, the only reason we aren't involved in ministry to others is because we have counted the cost and the costs are too great. So the only reason that you and I don't get involved in investing our lives in other people and ministering into their lives is because we've counted the cost and the costs are too great. And that may be the person laying on the street who doesn't have food, who asks his hand for some money, and you saying, I'm not willing to give up my money. The cost is too great. Or as I'm walking along, headed for church or to another meeting, and someone demands my time for me to serve them, I say, no, nope, the cost is too great. I need to get to this meeting. I have to be there. Um, so the only reason we don't get involved in ministry to others, there's no other reason than the cost is too great. We've counted the cost, and the cost is too great. Um, and I, I think as we uh, think through this story of the Good Samaritan, there's a lot of uh, things that we can pull out of this passage that we can pr- apply in our own practical um, situations. And that's, first of all, we can ask ourselves, do we have compassion for the people around us? Uh, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to take risks to meet the needs of those around us, even those who are different, unlike us, and even our enemies, those who are most difficult for us to relate to? So I'd like you to think of the most difficult person or people in your world. What would it take for you to love that person as you love yourself? 
To me, a Samaritan is really a great example of what it means to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. I'll tell you what. If I had if I had cuts on me, I would use use my bandages to 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 uh, fix those cuts. Uh, if I was in dire physical need and it was going to cost me money uh, to go to the hospital and get fixed, I would pay the money to survive and to live. These are the kind of things I would do for myself. And the Samaritan shows that he did exactly what. Uh, he was asked to do. He was loving his neighbor as he loved himself, and that involved showing mercy and compassion. So think about that person and, and ask yourselves, do I have compassion? What would it take for me to have compassion for him or her? What would be it take for me to identify the needs in their life and to sacrifice my energy or my time or my resources to reach out to them with the love of Christ and serve them? So I don't know about you. I want to be like the Good Samaritan. I don't want to be like the Levite or the priest or certainly not like the robber. I want to be like the Good Samaritan. But I hope by now, as you've uh, determined, it's really, really difficult to do this. It's really impossible to do this. How do I really love my enemy, the person who is oppositional to me, who hates me, who wants to destroy me? How can I really love that person in the way that I love myself? You know, it's really interesting. The point of this story was not my sermon to show you how to be a good servant, although we we, we pull a lot of principles out, and this is the way God wants us to be. But that really wasn't the point of Jesus' story. If you look at this parable, almost every parable that Jesus talks about, the point of Jesus' parables and the point of his stories, and as he interacts with people, he's always trying to show them, you are not nearly as good as you think you are. You are not nearly as good as you think you are. So here's a lawyer coming saying, I know the answer to the question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. I passed the test. Jesus said, you do this, you'll live. You pass the test, man. You get 100. You're perfect. But the problem is the man wasn't living out what he believed. And Jesus' point in telling this par- parable was not to show us what it looks like to be a good neighbor, although he did. The point of this story is to show us that you're not even nearly as good as you think you are. You know what, lawyer? You can't do this because I'm asking you to love like your enemy, the Samaritan, loved you as a Jew. When you're in the pit, your enemy is coming along and helping you. That's what I'm asking you to do. Do exactly. Sacrifice yourself. Pour yourself out. Be a risk taker uh, to serve those around you, even your enemies. And so the point of this whole story is basically to show us that we're not good enough. You and I are not good enough. You and I can't be the neighbor that God's called us to be. And we need to realize that before we can really be good neighbors. And so the goal of my sermon today and the goal of Jesus' point in this parable is to show us that we're not nearly as good as we think we are. We don't know what the response was of the lawyer. When Jesus said to him, go and do the same, we don't know what the lawyer did. Over in Luke chapter 5, I th- this is a really interesting uh, passage, um, Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Let me just read this to you. So this is Jesus' first interaction, one of his first interactions with his disciples You remember they were out fishing, and they didn't catch any fish, came in. Uh, Jesus told them, go back out, go fishing. And Peter said, you know, we didn't catch anything when we were out there. Why should we go out again? Because you tell us we're going to go out. And when they went out, they caught all this fish, so much so that the partners had to come and help them. The boats were sinking. They caught all this fish because Jesus sent them out. And when Jesus realized the greatness of who Jesus was, um, in verse 8 it says, but when Simon Peter saw that, saw that, the miracle that had happened, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which he had taken. 
And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. This is really a good picture of what it means to love our neighbor and to serve our neighbor as we serve ourselves. We need to understand the awesomeness of who God is. You know, we understand the awesomeness of who God is and the awesomeness of who Jesus is and, and how Jesus has saved us out of our sin, that we really aren't as good as we, we, we think we are, and that we are in need of a Savior, that we're in need of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus, as, as Jesus uh, clearly showed to Peter, and Peter got the message, and what did Peter do? Peter fell down before Jesus and said, I'm a sinful man, get away from me. Jesus, Peter recognized his sinfulness. I don't know if the lawyer recognized his sinfulness, but Peter clearly recognized his sinfulness before Jesus. He recognized who Jesus was. He recognized his sinfulness before him. And I think if we really want to serve people in our communities, if we really want to be like the Good Samaritan, then it's going to take us to be like Peter, not, not, not like the lawyer. You know, I think of the rich young ruler. We talked about him a couple weeks ago who, who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The exact same question the lawyer said. And what did Jesus say? Obey the commandments. What's the, what's the law teach? He said, I obey all the commandments. What did the, what did the rich young ruler say? He said, I've obeyed them all. And what did Jesus say? He pointed into the depths of his heart and said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. This was the, the idol that, uh, that the rich young ruler had. And so Jesus is always pointing at our heart. And, and the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a point to your heart to show you that you're not the neighbor that God wants you to be to the people in your life and the people that He's placed in your life. And so this morning, what we need to ask ourselves is how, not how can I be a better neighbor? I don't want you to walk out of this place and in guilt go out and give money to a poor person, as good as that may be, as profitable as that may be for that person, or to go serve in a homeless shelter out of guilt. That's not the purpose of our time together this morning. The purpose of our time together, hopefully this morning, is to pull you back into a deeper walk with Jesus. And really, we should be looking at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is what I want to close out with. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' real message is to repent. I mean, he really wanted the lawyer to repent and to show that you're really not the neighbor that you should be. You're not fulfilling this law. You're not perfect. You really do need me. He wants us to repent, and he wants us to follow him. We are the ones who are always going to get in the way of being used by God to serve our communities, to serve people in our communities. There's nothing else that's going to get in the way except you and I. God's not going to get in the way of you serving our communities, you and I serving our communities. And I'm always the one that's going to be in the way of that. And it really involves us, if we want to be fruitful, if we want to be what the Good Samaritan was to his community and to people in his community, then it, it's, it's going to be about surrendering to Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And that's a moment-by-moment thing. You know, I, there's many times in my life I, when I really was challenged with this whole thing of abiding in Christ, I really learned to do this moment-by-moment, day-by-day. As I'm in the middle of, the, as I'm in the middle of uh, and I wish I was conscious about this more, but as I'm facing a difficult situation, whether it's a temptation to sin or uh, temptation to look to myself and think about myself rather than think about others and not serve others, I always tell myself, Steve, I'm going to abide in Jesus. And so I pray that prayer. I say, Jesus, I'm abiding in you right now. I need you. I need you to help me 
to resist this sin, to help this person, to be able to do what you would do if you were standing in my place. But I choose to abide in you right now. I'm abiding in Jesus. What you've done for me, everything that you've done for me, all that you've given me, I'm abiding in that because there's no way I can do this on my own. And so abiding in Jesus is not something that we do and then we forget about it. It's something that we do on a, on a moment-by-moment basis, minute-by-minute, sometimes second-by-second, second, but certainly day-by-day. Uh, that we're articulating to God that we're abiding in Jesus and that our strength is coming from Him and that we recognize, as, as Peter did, that he's a sinful man, unable to do what God's asked him to do. So now I want you to think about that person you thought about earlier or those people that you thought about earlier. And our attitude this morning needs to be repent, first of all, for the lack of love and compassion that we've shown towards them, the lack of desire we've had to serve them and their needs and identifying their needs and serving their needs, And we need to repent of that, and we need to, in a sense, turn towards Jesus, and we need to say, Jesus, I need to abide in you. And as I abide in you, I know that you're going to bear fruit. You've promised as I abide in you, I'll bear fruit. And learning how to abide in Jesus is what it's going to take for us to serve our communities well and to have this this picture of the Good Samaritan be evident in our lives as well. And as we do that, then we need to ask the Lord, Lord, what are the tangible ways? Give me the opportunities to serve my community. What are the tangible ways I can do that? Show me the needs in my community. Show me the people in my community that need, um, that have needs that need to be met. And I really appreciated that. This one of the biggest things I really appreciated about that video that we saw at the end of our, our Sunday school class was that it was really about loving people. It was about compassion and loving people. It wasn't about necessarily getting the gospel out, although we all know that the gospel is at the heart of what it means to walk in freedom and joy and hope and life and, and having the needs, even in the midst of uh, difficulties, you know, we can have ho- hope and joy and, 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 and be filled with love towards others uh, through the gospel. And the gospel ultimately is what we need to be bringing to people. Uh, but it really starts with identifying the needs, saying, God, I want to reach out and love those people and have compassion towards them in the way that you have compassion towards them. And I don't have that. And I have to confess, uh, there's a lot of people in my life that I don't have compassion for in the way that God wants me to have compassion towards them. But I need to realize it's something that only God can do in my life as I abide in Him. So my prayer this morning is that uh, we will all uh, learn to abide in Christ and that we'll understand the point of this parable uh, is that we need to continually fall back on Jesus and say, God, make me like the Good Samaritan. Help me to have compassion towards others, those who are unlike me, those who are even my enemies. Help me to see the needs and how I can meet those needs, and then help me to be able to lay aside myself, to surrender my rights, surrender my my resources, surrender my time uh, in order to meet those needs, and show me how I can do that uh, in practical ways. And God's called each one of us to unique places, you know, where you live and where you serve is not the same place I live and serve. And God's not calling you to come into my world and serve all the people in my world, but He's called me to do that. And God's called you to serve the world where He's placed you. And I hope that as we abide in Christ, that uh, God will use us individually and as a community to have an impact in our world as we see people and, and the love of Christ poured out towards them, having their needs met, find the healing that this man who was robbed on the road found, and uh, be able to have their lives restored and uh, to be able to walk and follow after Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your abundant goodness to us. You're a, you're a great God. You've, you've given us much in this world, and we're grateful, Lord, for uh, just the joy that we have in knowing Jesus Christ. 
Father, help us to be uh, the neighbors and, uh, that you desire us to be. Help us to love as you love and uh, help us to surrender everything that we are and everything that we have to you. And I pray, Lord, as we do this, that you would uh, fill us with your fullness. And as we abide in Jesus, Lord, that you would change our hearts, that you'd fill us with compassion, and that you would give us opportunity to be uh, your servants, to be good neighbors to those around us, uh, so that uh, people might be restored in the relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.